Let's next turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we'll read a section there that follows, I think, where we stopped last time. That was my intent. Uh, the last part of uh, Ephesians chapter 5. really could have started at verse um, <laughs> look at chapter 4 I wasn't seeing what I was expecting to see we could have really begun at verse 21 because it really sets up the remainder of the book uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for God well the submitting to one another is repeated in the husband wife relationship it's repeated in the children parent relationship and then it's repeated a third time uh, in the slaves and master relationship, or the employer, or the employee uh, relationship. But we'll begin at verse 15 of chapter 5 to see this in context. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Do not, not, not by the way of eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will 
as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same thing. Do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord. You can almost extend this third or to this fourth category. Submit yourself to the Lord and to his instructions. Uh, my contention is that Proverbs is essentially teaching us the armor of God. How then shall we live? Well, it's made pretty clear uh, in the book of Proverbs. And uh, that is the armor that will protect us and will provide for us as we live as believers. Okay, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, fastening onto the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. We will be reading and studying verses 22 to 31 kind of the third section or the third paragraph uh, in Proverbs chapter 8. And um, my plan will be on the last Sunday of the month. There's five Sundays in July. We'll consider that the last five verses, uh, 32 to 36, which is really the, um, I suppose you could say, the application of wisdom's words. So let's read verses 22 to 31. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth and its fields, or the first of the dust of the earth, when he established the heavens, I was there, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, 
when He made firm the skies above, when He established the fountains of the deep, when He assigned to the sea its limit, so that its waters might not transgress His command, when He marked out the foundations of the earth, then, then I was beside Him like a master workman, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in His inhabited world, delighting in the children of man. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this morning we continue our study of wisdom's autobiography, what wisdom has to say about herself. And you can read the 36 verses, and I believe, uh, at least if the punctuation is correct here, from verse 4 to the end of the chapter, uh, if this was in the Gospels, it would be red letter material. Uh, it would be set apart by its significance of uh, really a direct communication uh, by uh, the, the wisdom of God. And, and I think clearly the wisdom of God is who? But the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, that which is embodied, uh, not making like a firm distinction between the Holy Spirit and, and that which would be done. I, I think in terms of what we read uh, in these, what is it, eight or ten verses, nine verses maybe, we have a, um, a, a clear designation that this is really talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, he is the one who will lay down his life to secure the salvation and the redemption of his people. Well, all this is about what? Well, it's about who she is, who wisdom is, where she came from, what has she done, all to the service, all to the application of why should we listen to her? Why should we use her revelation and her direction uh, as the sole compass for our morality, for the sole basis of our hope and faith and trust in God. She's provided us many good reasons why we should listen to her. Uh, look at verses 6 and 8. 6 through 8. Hear, for I will speak noble things. From my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness, sin, is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. And nothing twisted or crooked will come from them. Or verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way. Perverted speech, I think. Wisdom will only lead us and guide us in the way that we should. Nothing that she tells us to do will lead to our return. That's part of Satan's tricks, Satan's devices, right? He convinced Adam and Eve, what? That if you listen to me, you will find satisfaction. If you listen to me, then you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Well, that's kind of the same way temptation works today. Oh, you always walk in the lines. You know, if you want to have fun, that's outside the lines. Well, you know what? That's, that's, that's lie. That's deceit. It's just not true. Contentment, happiness, satisfaction is only find, found in knowing the living and true God. 
and, and only by living a life that, that, that accords that and acknowledges our standing and our place before Him. What wisdom says makes sense. Those who listen, those who learn, those who give heed to her voice, they will succeed. They will be blessed. It's really a question of who, who are we going to listen to? Who, who, what is our priority uh, in life, in living? Can you answer that question? What is your goal in life? I think, unfortunately for some, many people in the world, it's wealth, prestige, a good reputation... Uh, success. Capital L-I-F-E. I, I want to live. I want to have life. I want to be fulfilled. Well, wisdom says, aim higher. Don't be satisfied with stones when you can have gold and silver and precious rubies. In fact, we read as our call to worship Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see what? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That He's a source of happiness and contentment and joy. Success in the deepest sense means living honorably and pleasing to the Lord. Hearing and heeding God's Word, following wisdom, sweeter than honey, more valuable than gold and silver. And, and one of the ironies is if we have our priorities straight, wisdom also commits us the, the, the way of prosperity. I mean, I don't, I'm not a preacher of prosperity gospel, but, but look at Solomon, right? Uh, pick anything, Solomon. Wealth, fame, honor. What does he request? Wisdom. Granted, God gave him these other things, and those other things became a snare to him. I don't like that part of it. But, uh, what we read here, uh, is pretty clear words. Walk in the way of righteousness, or I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Uh, in, in effect, what he's saying is the, the, the path of obedience, living an upright, moral, fair, honest life, treating others the way you want to be treated, uh, in the end that will be a blessing to you. Will it give you a fat bank account? I don't know. But, but there's things that matter more. And that's really the point that we need to learn. So we will see in this final paragraph, or the second to the third paragraph, that wisdom continues revealing herself. Uh, actually, kind of gets into her history. Her antiquity, if you will. Her, her ancientness. Her works of old. Why? that we might trust in her wisdom and do what she says. We will see wisdom's eternal glory. We will see wisdom's pre-creation activity. We will see wisdom's man-focused design. First of all, wisdom's eternal glory. Look at the first words of our text. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22 what stands out in that verse? The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way. Well, in the Old Testament, the Lord 
capital L-O-R-D, uh, is kind of the personal name of God, Jehovah, uh, the covenant God. Uh, when the burning, God spoke to Moses, the burning bush, who shall I say has sent me? Well, say that uh, I am, that I am has sent you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has heard your cries and is going to deliver you from your bondage. Right? So, it, it's a fairly big deal. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His works of old. I have been established. I have existed from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever a world. Wisdom is identified as a personality in the book of Proverbs, right? Who is wisdom? Is she an entity by herself? No. Uh, it's, it's a literary device that points to, uh, reveals the very character and nature of God. In fact, I think we'll see from today's lesson that wisdom is quite clearly equated uh, with the second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Christ. Even though I say that, wisdom uh, can be said to be the Son of God, can be said to be God the Holy Spirit, because God is three in one, uh, three persons in, uh, in, in, in one essence. Wisdom has been around as long as the Lord has been around. The origin of the Trinity predates the work of creation. It says that, right? Before His works of old, wisdom existed. Uh, and of course, all of this points to the fact that uh, you know, how long has has, has God the Father been here? How long has God the Son been here? How long has God the Holy Spirit? Well, before time began. In fact, the creeds speak of Christ being eternally begotten and not created. The Holy Spirit then proceeding from the Father and the Son. I believe the language that we read here in Proverbs chapter 8 accords that explanation and those definitions. Well, what, what are these works of God? Well, clearly in view here is the work of creation. The other principal work of God is that of providence, uh, where He upholds and governs all things according to the purpose of His will. And what do we read here? Well, that the Lord possessed me from the beginning, before the works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from eternity, from the beginning, before there was ever a world. As we read on, we will see that uh, wisdom's pre-creation and creation activity, and, and you know, when you study a passage intently like this, you kind of take it apart. How are these verses connected? How do they relate to each other? And so on. And from verse 22 down to verse 29... Uh, there are 13 references to times or circumstances. Um, when, while, uh, what was the other one? Before. Uh, if you can just glance down the page there, you'll, you'll see that. Uh, actually, starting in verse 22, The Lord possessed me at the beginning 
of His work, the first of His acts of old. Ages ago I was set up from the first, when before the beginning of the earth. 24. When there were no depths, I was there. Second part of 24. When there were no springs abounding with water. Verse 25. Before the mountains were shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before He had made the earth and the fields or the primeval dust of the earth. 27. When He established the heavens. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep. 28. When He made the skies above. When He established the fountains of the deep. 29. When He assigned the sea its limit so that the waters could not transgress its command. When He marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside uh, we'll look at verses 30 and 31 in our third point, but for now we'll just take stock, take note of, of what we're reading here. Uh, Genesis 1.1, plausibly the most familiar verse in the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Indeed. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. All to say that we understand well that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, I remember making a, a radio ad down in Kansas City uh, and my, my, my little contention was that if you believe Genesis 1 verse 1, you can believe every other verse in the Bible. Raise doubt, pose questions, don't believe Genesis 1, verse 1, and you have no reason. You will almost, I'll almost guarantee it that you will doubt and question other passages of the Word of God. Because how has God revealed Himself? As the Eternal, as the Creator, as the Governor who upholds all things by providence. So what we see in these verses here in Proverbs chapter 8 is a kind of an enlarging of, of what we're talking about is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth because it's quite clear that there are some there's indications here that that what wisdom is speaking of is before creation right the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work the first of his acts of old I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. Well, what was before the beginning of the earth? Well, when there were no depths. When there were no springs. Before the mountains were shaped. Before the hills were brought forth. Before the earth was made and the fields and the, the, the first of the dust. The primeval dust of the world. I think that's the building material that God used to make all things. So, verses 24, 25, and 26 are... Where did wisdom come from? Well, she was there before these things. And then verses 27 and following are really events that describe the beginning. When He established the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the I was there. When He made firm... The skies above, the firmament above and the firmament below. When he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limit. Isn't that exactly what we read about in 
John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All that was made was made through the Word. Through the pre-incarnate Christ. In fact, um, hold your place here in uh, Proverbs chapter 8 and look with me at Colossians chapter 1. Beautiful, beautiful description of these things. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love that you have for all the saints. Drop down to verse 9. Note verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I believe the words inspired by the Apostle Paul find their origin in Proverbs chapter 8. He, he's using the imagery of existence and pre-existence uh, of the Lord Jesus uh, from the foundation of the world. By him all things were created. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible thrones, dominions, principalities. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 says that by faith we believe that the heavens of old were made from that which was invisible. Same word, same terminology. As we come to the last two verses, we will see a repetition of the word delight and rejoicing. I was beside him like a master workman. Uh, the, the New King James, I, I prefer it, says, for I was beside him as a master craftsman. He, he was the one equipped. He was the one supplied with all he needed to do the work assigned to him. Let there be light. And the sun will light into existence. Let there be planets and stars and moons and galaxies. And He spoke them into being. We often think of God the Father, but it's pretty clear those things were all done and made by the Son. Uh, His work and and His grace to His people. Notice the, uh, the repetition of the word delight. Then I was beside Him like a master craftsman, a master worker, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in His inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Literally, where it says children of men, um, like the New King James says sons of men, but in the original, you know what it says? Uh, The sons of Adam. (laughs) Uh, 
the sons of Adam. That was his delight. And, and so you see, I was daily his delight. Go down three lines. And my delight was in the children of men. Middle lines, rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in His inhabited world. In other words, wisdom is saying that that her deal, her the, the focus of, of, of her affection and desire was the sons of men. So if, if you will... Uh, God the Father rejoiced in me, says wisdom. And I rejoiced in the sons of men, uh, in those for whom I would lay down my life. For the object of wisdom's rejoicing and delighting. You see this, right? Christ was the apple. Christ is the apple of God's eye. Remember the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac? Uh, go offer your son on the, the, the mountains of Moriah. You know, your only son, whom you love, and go and sacrifice him. Abraham says, okay. Does he understand? Does he comprehend? No. In fact, we're told in Hebrews that Abraham supposed that God would raise him from the dead. That's what his perception was of the power and and the wisdom of God. That one, John 3.16, For God God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the Son whom He loved, the, the, the Son whom He delighted in, His only Son. He delighted in Him. He rejoiced in Him daily. And whom did the Son rejoice and delight in? Certainly He loved God the Father with a perfect love. But it says here that His delight was with the sons of men. He rejoiced in God's inhabited world. It could be, as I'm thinking about this, that that Satan's perverted desire to take and to kill and destroy mankind has the foil in the perfect love of Christ for His delight, for His love, for His um, willingness to take His life and to lay it down as a ransom for men. My delight was with the sons of men. Do you see what this means though? Do you see what this means? Can you begin to see now from the inception of time the beginning of history, the very... Uh, what, what, do, what do we read in, in Ephesians chapter 1? That from the foundation of the world, God loved His own. Well, this love was founded and, and rooted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son was set apart. The Son was the logical choice to be the Redeemer of His people. He loved His people with an everlasting love and would lay down His life as a ransom for theirs. John 17, 
I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. We've just been reading about that glory before the world was. In, in, in essence, what can I say now? Behold your God. Look at what God has done for you. Not just happenstance at a moment in time in history. But He loved you. From the beginning of His way. Um, we don't know how that works. The, the mystery of God through, through the centuries of time and history. But His love is met and, and, and founded and, and rooted in the salvation of your people. That's why you read Romans chapter 8. What does it say? Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And, and you probably know the grocery list. Things present, things to come. No matter the devil hates us, you can never separate us from the wonderful love of God. The Lord's grace is sufficient. The Lord's faith abounds and supplies all that we need. Amen. Gracious God, we thank You that we can be assembled here, that we can spend some moments in time reflecting on the wonderful love of our Redeemer. Or as we sang earlier, uh, the story of Jesus and His life. Lord, we pray we might never forget that we might not confuse the, the substitutes and the counterfeits of the world for the reality of the truth. That we might embrace, that we might love and live uh, before You always. We pray this in Jesus' name.